Good morning. You're on with attorney Vincent Davis, and the show is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives, or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and the federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning to you all. I'm broadcasting this morning from Orange County, and um, today's show, we're going to be talking about um, relative placement and what I like to call friendly relative placement. Um, In my opinion, relative placement is probably one of the most important things that uh, can occur or does not occur in juvenile dependency cases uh, across the United States and across California. We represent people in, you know, different counties here in California, from Humboldt County up north and Shasta County up north to San Francisco County to San Joaquin County to San Diego Orange, Los Angeles, Riverside, San Bernardino. And one of the most important things that I see in cases, even when I'm just sitting in the courtroom waiting for my own case to be called, is that there are children, thousands and thousands of children, who are placed in foster care with strangers. And in many of these cases, there are relatives and close family friends which they call nephrims in court, who can take these children and these children can be placed in homes where they know people, where they're family and there's a close connection and these children can be well cared for. Don't get me wrong. Uh, There are a lot of good foster parents out there, Um, but they're like anything else. There are mediocre foster parents and there are some bad foster parents. It is important that we get these children placed with relatives. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that, but right now I'm going to take a call. Our first caller is area code 562, ending in 48. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Good morning, Mr. Davis. This is Daniel. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Um, I was listening to uh, what you were talking about, and I'd like to elaborate a little bit about my story. I'm going to do this very quickly. My daughter was taken March of 2014. My mother and my sister have separate households. They went down and did the uh, life scan, fingerprints, and all that right away. Uh, My daughter was placed with uh, caregivers, all the way out to Silmar, which is a long drive for me. I started doing my visitation. I hired private counsel right away. Uh, he didn't have the experience that was necessary to really do this case right, so I might say. And after 13 months into the case, my mother found your website, and I saw that it, and I, I don't mean to change up. All along, I kept asking the social worker, can we 
bring my daughter to either my mom's or my sister's. And he kept saying, well, she's safe where she is. Let's just get through this case, leading me to believe that she's going to come home soon, you know. So then um, on on your site, I read a Child Welfare Act, Section 309. It said the social worker must do his due diligence to place a child immediately with friendly family members. And then I found out also after 12 months, the social worker could adopt uh, the child out. The foster parents were really told that they were going to be able to adopt my daughter. So I downloaded this information. I walked it to the social worker and gave him this. And I said, I want my child placed with either my mom or my sister. And within about two weeks, she was changed over to my mom's place. But I went through this for 13 months with them. And they just kept stringing me along. But it got taken care of. Thank you for your information. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Daniel, for calling in. I just want to tell you, um, probably in the last two weeks, I don't know the exact date, a new California appellate case was published. And it, in my opinion, gives um, direction and guidance and even mandates uh, trial court judges to place children with relatives. And in my opinion, at, at this directive uh, can happen at any time during the case. Now, a lot of social workers, a lot of attorneys who represent foster parents are going to disagree with me on that. But it tells us uh, specifically what has to be done and that the social worker must evaluate the relatives no matter what type time period or time frame in the case you are in, they must evaluate the relatives. What happens so many times in these cases um, is that, you know, people get a juvenile dependency case going, and that might be, you know, a legitimate case, it might be a bogus case, it might be somewhere in between, but a lot of people are, um, are how, should, how should we say, uh, embarrassed to let the family know about what's happening in their life and what's happening to the children. And they don't mention this to social workers. They don't mention, uh, they don't mention that they haven't told their family. They don't mention to the social worker that there are a ton of relatives out there who can take this child and, you know, while the, the child or the case proceeds and while the parents get their act back together. So what happens is is that social workers have been sitting back, taking um, uh, basically using the excuse that, oh, I didn't place the child with a relative because the father or the mother never told us about a relative. And in my opinion, <coughs> excuse me, Section 309 of the Welfare and Institutions Code, everyone can Google that and read it, mandates that the social worker go out and find relatives. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of a case, and I, I may have mentioned this on an old show, of a case I did in San Diego where three sets of relatives came to me right before uh, the parents were going, their rights were going to be terminated. One set of the relative, and the guy was the paternal uncle. He was the father's brother, but he was in the army, and he was stationed outside of the country. 
Um, and when I met him, he was moving back to the States and he found out that his brother had gotten in trouble and lost the child. And he asked me, well, why didn't the social workers contact me? And the social worker's excuse at the time of the trial was, well, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't know that you existed because the father never told us about you. And although the father denies that and says, I did tell him, um, you know, it becomes a he said, she said type of thing. And um, the other two relatives who knew about the case and knew about the child had gone to the social workers and had said, you know, we want to um, take the child. The social workers never placed this child with a relative. And then when the relatives came to me, I told them, you know, it's kind of late in the game. It's going to be difficult. We did have, actually have a trial, and the judge made a what he, I think the judge even described as a very close decision. He allowed the child to stay with the foster parent and be adopted. Uh, and to me, that was unfortunate because um, two of the couples that had come to come forward with me or to me lived actually in San Diego right there uh, where the case was uh, pending. And they were both professional couples, both, both had their own children, had raised children. You know, I think both had a couple kids in college. Um, but they were, you know, they were good people who wanted to take this child who was a relative. And the relative and the child stayed with the foster parents and um, got adopted by that foster parent. I said foster parents, and in this case, it was a single mom, uh, a very nice woman. I, I think she was probably, you know, a good woman. But in my opinion, um, what makes all of this constitutional is that there is a mandate that we place children with families because the Supreme Court of the United States has even said, and I'll paraphrase, the family is the fabric of our society, it's what we are all about in this country, is family. But yet in these cases, I get the sense so many times that people don't, or social workers don't want to place children with families. And I'm starting to do some investigation. I'm involved in a civil rights lawsuit right now against um, Los Angeles County and some social workers. And I'm starting to come across evidence that gives me the belief that, you know, social workers do certain things because in my opinion, they're earning money for their department. They're earning money for the county. And the county gets paid from the state and local and the federal government for foster care. And, you know, many, many years ago, Daniel, I used to be a uh, certified public accountant um, with a firm called Deloitte Haskins and Sales. It's currently still around. It's called Deloitte now. But one of our biggest clients back then was um, Los Angeles County. And we were um, specialists in governmental accounting. So I'm here to tell you that governmental entities, it is their, one of their goals is to make money. And they make money by getting bigger budgets and justifying those budgets uh, from the federal government and the state and local governments. So for example, if DCFS was doing 10,000 cases a year, and they drop down to 5,000 cases a year, their budget would be cut. They would lose revenue, just like any other business. So just like any other business, 
They want to keep making sure that their budget grows and grows and grows. And and, and in my opinion, and this is my opinion, a lot of people will disagree. Um, in my opinion, the department has such a huge budget. I heard someone say that the Department of Children and Family Services just in Los Angeles County has a, bu- a, bu- uh, a budget of $2 billion. I'm not sure that that's true. Even if it was a billion dollars, my God, that's, a, that's an enormous amount of money. Someone once told me, hey, Vince, if you start counting right now, you won't get to a billion by the time you die. That's how much money a billion is. And someone mentioned to me that they have a $2 billion budget. They can only get that type of budget if they're providing these services. And listen, in some cases, these services are needed. Yes, there is child abuse, but it's not under every stone. It's not, you know, it's not at when we turn the corner on every case. And why can't these children be placed with relatives? Why can't we place them with relatives right from the beginning? It's almost as if sometimes I get the sense that, you know, well, if the mother and the father were bad, their family must also be bad. You know, it's that type of thing. And um, and that it's not true. It's not true at all. Um, and I see these kids, you know, going through these, uh, going through the foster care system, and there were relatives that could have taken care of them. Yesterday, I happened to be in a courthouse in another county. I won't mention the county. And I was waiting for a, a case to uh, start. We were finishing a trial, and um, I represented the mother in the case. And by the way, um, uh, that turned out very successful. But I was talking to a gentleman in the hallway who happened to be a CASA. And a CASA is a court-appointed special advocate. And he was appointed to assist and provide services to a teenager. Um, And I think the kid was about 16 or 17 from looking at him, um, who had been in the system and, you know, uh, for a while. And and Casa and I started talking. He never told me the child's name or anything, but we started talking and, um, I asked the I asked this gentleman. I said, "Well, you know, were there any relatives that could take this child?" And he kind of looked at me, um, and he didn't say anything. But the expression in his body language told me that you know perhaps no one ever thought of that. You know, there there might be relatives out there that could take or help with this child. So it's not the first thing that it seems to be thought of. Now, there are a lot of social workers who believe in placing children with foster parents right at the very beginning, and kudos to those social workers. But I think it should be done in every case because if one child is left behind, if one child doesn't go to a family because it went with a foster parent, you know, we should do something. The other thing I want to mention to people right now is that in the code, there is a preference for relatives. So a lot of times what happens is, you know, this is, here's a typical scenario. Relative, you know, second cousin once removed reports the um, parents for alleged child abuse. And instead of placing the child with an aunt, an uncle, a grandmother or grandfather, or an adult sibling, they place the child with the second cousin once removed as if it was some sort of, you know, uh, reward, 
oh, you're going to take care of the child because you're better than all of the other relatives who I should be giving priority to. And in many of those cases, the social worker doesn't even talk to the relatives, doesn't even evaluate them um, to find out whether uh, the child might be as good or better off with one of these relatives. So, you know, these cases are real superior court cases. And I think social workers sometimes try to get allies um, in placing children with friendly relatives who are friendly to the social worker. Um, And therefore, we don't look at, or the social worker and the judges and the attorneys don't look at who actually has priority. In all of my cases, Daniel, I ask people to make a list of 25 relatives, and I don't care where the relatives are. 25 relatives are 25 close family members. They can be anywhere in the world. Many, many people tell me, oh, I have a case in Riverside, and the Riverside social worker told me if the person lives outside the county, the, the, the child can't be placed with that relative. That's false. If the person, if you have a Riverside case and the person lives in San Francisco, they have to do an investigation. There's something called an intrastate um, ICPC. That's what I call it, where the social worker in San Francisco has to go out and do an evaluation for the social worker and the judge in Riverside. There's another um, scenario where case in Riverside, relatives live in New York. Um, relatives in New York, there's something called the ICPC, the Interstate Children's Compact, where the social worker in New York has to do an evaluation. And better yet, and I hear this one so, so many times, oh, I have relatives, I have a case in Riverside, and I have relatives, but they live in Mexico. They live in Italy. They live in Canada. And the social worker says, no way, they can't go there. That's false. That's false. And in my opinion, I think social workers tell that for two reasons. Number one, they don't know. A lot of social workers are new or inexperienced or just don't know that a child can be placed outside the county through interstate compact. The second reason I think that this happens, and this is just my opinion, is that the social workers don't want the child to be placed in another country. They don't want the child to be placed in another country because of either their prejudice of what they think about that country Or number two, they don't want the county to lose the money for that child because the money follows the child. So why are we going to place a child in Mexico and pay the Mexican social workers and, you know, that government to help take care of a foster child from Riverside County? So it's that kind of what I call stinking thinking that keeps these children in foster care within the counties. So... For all the listeners, I want to tell you, if you have a case and you're a relative or you you have relatives who want to take the child, make a list of 25 relatives. Get on the Internet something called a JV-285 form. That's a judicial counsel form in California. Just type out JV space 5 on Google and it will come up. You'll get the form. You'll print it out. You'll fill it out and go over it with your lawyer so that you guys can file that with the court so that the um, relatives can have and be considered for placement. By the way, on that JV 285 form, the relative can not only ask for placement, the relative can ask for visitation. 
The relative can ask for taking the child to school. The relative can ask for taking the child on outings. So just don't, you know, go by what the social worker says. Usually the social workers don't know or for whatever reason, they've made decisions on the case that aren't or would not be enforceable if you go to court and talk to the juvenile judge. Daniel, I want to thank you for your call. Um, I'm talking too much. I'm going to move on to the next call because we're backing up with calls. Thank you. The next, um, the next call I'm going to take is from area code 650, ending in 07. Oh, Good morning. Hello. You're on. Hello. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Uh, did you have a question or a story to share with us? Um, I just have a question. Um, I was going to retain your law, your law, um, your law office services in a few months uh, when I'm able to financially. Um, mm-hmm. So I, um, I have my daughter. Fortunately, um, her um, her father is a registered sex offender and. He, um, this is the second time he's tried to touch her. Um, he, there was an incident when she was three years old, and he touched her um, in her private area while he was changing her diaper, and that was reported, um, and he was put in the hospital um, in the, um, on a 5150 hold, and CPS was involved then, but they, you know, they, they um, closed the case pretty quickly. So this time um, he touched my daughter on the outside of the clothing, but it was with his foot. So, so it was, it's a little bit more of an awkward situation. And um, so anyways, um, I'm living with my um, my husband's parents, my in-laws, for three months with my daughter. So we, we got out of the house straight away. Um, we went to the police last week to report what happened because my daughter wanted, was wanting me to report it, but I was just... I was kind of, I was nervous because my husband was giving me financial threats about um you know if I me not leaving him alone with my daughter then he would not give me money for my bills and living expenses. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to supervise my daughter. I've been trying to do that with her father um the past month or so because I feared for her safety. You know mm-hmm. after the touching after the touching touching incident. So anyways, um I I kind of stupidly I signed um the informal supervision agreement and I was not told that I sh- should have a lawyer present or I could have a lawyer present when I spoke with the social worker and um so when I signed the agreement I didn't have I I scanned it and sent it back into the worker I didn't have a, um anyone witness it um but I signed it under extreme emotional duress because she was um she was kind of providing, like, she did a veiled threat that, um, like, we're, we're, we're becoming Roman Catholic, and we don't believe in, quote, mental health counseling. Like, we believe, you know, the soul, original sin is the cause for all of society's problems, and um, we're supposed to pray to God, you know, for our, soul, for our souls to, um, you know, the, souls, the soul has an illness, not the mind. So um, the the worker was trying to get my daughter into, my daughter used to be in, like, quote, therapy when she was younger. She was trying to insist that she goes back into it, and I was trying to defend my daughter's faith. So the um, the social worker said that she could, you know, get a court order to order her into 
you know, counseling and, you know, that she had she had gotten a court order for a Jehovah's Witness family to have their child have a blood transfusion. So she gave that that example, you know, and and she wouldn't listen to my, you know, my my reasoning. I was trying to reason with her about the our beliefs. So anyways, um my question is um so they want me to do a parent education class and they're monitoring us for 6 months and they wanted me to do domestic violence counseling, but that counseling that's against my faith also, you know, anything to do with quote mental health. And they wanted me to do a drug test. So what should I um should I just not do anything for now? Um, well, based upon what you've told me, I can give you some suggestions, okay? Okay. Um, um, now, these suggestions are um, my opinion. You might talk to other attorneys, and they're going to give you different opinions. But I've been doing this many, many years, and so these are my general rules. Number one, I, I recommend to people you don't talk to social workers. Yeah, yeah. I, I read your ebook. Um, I just read that yesterday, a part of it on, mm-hmm. on your website. So I read that. And um, let, uh, just really quickly, explain, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Let me explain why I say that, okay? Okay, sure. Because there's, some, there's, there's a downside to that advice. Yeah. But, you know, generally, I don't know why, but social workers, either because of lapse of memories, either because of misunderstanding, you know, because communication is a big thing. And, 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 you know, even we miscommunicate with our friends and our loved ones. And sometimes I get the feeling that social workers don't tell the truth. I mean, they they purposely don't tell the truth. In Los Angeles County right now, there are four social workers being criminally charged with falsifying reports. In my opinion, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. So if you don't talk to the social worker, there's no chance of that ever happening. Now, the downside is is this. And and by the way, there's no requirement that you talk to social workers ever, ever. Well, they brought us down to um, San Jose, California. We had to do – my daughter had to give an interview. So it was like the social worker showed up there, so I felt – it was like a real high pressure. I shouldn't have said any, I shouldn't have talked to her though. That's, yeah, um, the downside. Let me tell the listeners this: the downside is, if the social worker, if you don't talk to the social worker, she's going to tell the judge if and when she goes to court. Oh, mm-hmm. mother wouldn't talk to me. Now, yeah. mother wouldn't cooperate. Well, there's really nothing in the law that says you have to talk to them or cooperate okay. with them. It's okay. America, right? But on a scale of one to ten, if you talk to them. It could be a 10 used against you, but if you don't talk to them, it could be a 5. So either way, it's against you, but what do you want? Do you want a 10 or do you want a 5? So I always advise people the least um, dangerous one is the 5. Don't talk to the social worker. Many, many, this is maybe a couple years ago, maybe a year ago or so. I'm in a court case in juvenile dependency court in Los Angeles. And um, we go into the judge's chambers to discuss the case. And a very experienced county counsel prosecutor tells the judge, oh, Mr. Davis is not letting his um, client talk to the social worker. The judge looked at me and said, 
Mr. Davis, why are you playing games? And I looked at her with, I was kind of shocked. And I said, well, I'm not playing games. Uh, there's no requirement in the code, you know, that my client talk to the social worker. And um, <clears throat> she had a puzzle look on her. The Welfare and Institutions Code. Oh, thank you. California, California Welfare and Institutions Code. And she kind of looked surprised as if, you know, she didn't know that, and she was waiting for the other attorneys in the in the room to say something like, oh, yes, there is. You know, that's the feeling that I got. But there's no requirement for you you or your clients. And so I, I, I nicely told the judge, hey, judge, you know, I'm a defense attorney. I'm not here to help the social worker. I'm not here to help the minor's attorney or the county counsel prove a case against my client. And I did tell her that she could not or should not talk to the social worker, unless I was present, of course. Yeah. And uh, they, they never like to do that because if I'm present, they don't get to do the high-pressure sales on you and try yeah. to force you. You know, social workers, you know, you know, I want everybody to understand, social workers are professionals. They're professionals at what they do. They've been doing it, a lot of them, for many years. They have training. They have experience. They have associations. They're professionals. They know exactly what they're doing and how they're doing it. So I don't know what your, you know, job or profession or something, but there's something that you're really good at in life. And if, you know, if there's people that aren't really good at it or don't know anything about it, and that's the relationship you have with the social worker. She has all the power, or at least makes you believe that, and you get pressured into doing things that you shouldn't do. But I have some good news for you. Even yeah. though you sign the volunteer, even though you sign the voluntary agreement, you can stop it at any time. Did they tell you that? No, Did you they notice didn't that on the form? Um, well, Did you notice so my it? daughter, it's on the form. Oh, well, there's, at the bottom, there's the Welfare and Institutions Code. It says that, Section 301 at the bottom. So the, mm-hmm. well, we're, oh, it's a, well, it says the, the termination date is 10-13 of this year. So it says that, where did, does it say that? Well, did you actually go to court? No, no, I haven't gone to court. She, um, so she came to the, um, it's where they interviewed my daughter. Like the detective drove us down there, and after we drove, after we reported the incident, and then the mm-hmm. social worker showed up. Um, this is in San Jose. At um, I'm not sure which building it was. It's where they interview kids who've been assaulted or who've gone through mm-hmm. um, abuse. So she showed mm-hmm. up there with her little notebook and was, you know, wanted to talk to me and was taking notes. Um, so. Well, the good news is um, you can stop doing that plan. You can take action on your own. You can go to family law court. I don't know if you've done this. And you can get some very strict reg- uh, visitation requirements against the father, all right? Yeah. Especially if he's a, a registered offender and he's still doing this. I mean, you have to protect your child. You can yeah. go to family law court and, and get the uh, court to order him to pay you support, spousal support, to pay you child support. So don't ever let that economic weapon be used against you because you can go to court. The the judge in family law court can order the support, and then you can even, you and your attorney can even make his employer pay you directly. So you um, you don't even have to, you, uh, you don't even need a check from him. Well, um, we actually, we own, we're mobile app developers, so we own our company together. Mm-hmm. So um, he is he is providing money for me now. I think 
it scared him. What I did was us reporting to the police scared him, which was a good thing. But the bad, the bad mm-hmm. part is the CPS, you know, the, um, for them getting involved. Right. It's interesting so, you say that because you're kind of you and your child are kind of the victim. He's the perpetrator, yeah. but you feel victimized by the social worker. Yeah. I hear that all the time. I hear that all the time. Yeah. Well, so um, so for this agreement that I signed, should I just not like I should not do the parent education class or not do the drug testing? Just don't do anything for now. Or... Well, I'm not telling you you shouldn't do anything. Okay. Uh, what I'm telling okay. you is, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to okay. do it. I, right? I'd rather not I because know. I'm. Yeah. I don't use drugs. I don't. For, there was. For, yeah. yeah. For for one thing, for sure. I know for sure. Um, I would tell you, unless drugs were an issue with respect to this case and you, you and drugs, you don't have to. You don't have to do drug testing. That's okay. just another service. That's just another service they're selling you, so that they can make money from the federal and the state government. You don't have to do drug okay. testing. It's like you well, go in. You go in the store to buy a suit, and they want to sell you the shirt, the tie, the belt the new socks, the new underwear, and the shoes. You just went in for a suit. Okay, so it's kind of like that with drug testing. Oh, your child has been molested by her father, but we want you to take drug testing even though, you know, there was never an issue of you using drugs. Or or parenting. You don't have to do it. Okay. You don't don't have to do it. The only thing you have to do is if a judge orders you to do something and you haven't even seen a judge. Oh, yes, exactly. So so if she gets a hold of me again, um, should I just ignore her? The social work? She hasn't got a hold of me since it was last week that this happened. So Mm -hmm. if she tries to get a hold of me, like through email or, or to call me, is it best I just ignore her or just say everything's all right, we're fine? No, I wouldn't ignore her. I would just say, look, um, you know, I talked to this attorney and he told me that I shouldn't talk to you unless he was on the phone or she was on the phone with us. So, you know, that's the bottom line. And I would have these communications with her via text or email because if she says some crazy wild stuff, like threatens you or something like that, you want to have that in writing so that later you can report her, she can be disciplined, and you might even have a a civil rights case against her for the way she's treating you or what she's trying to do to you. Yes, exactly. Um, Well, so one last question. Um, Well, so I guess um, I can probably have the case dropped or have have the case um, that um, I spoke yesterday to um, someone with your law firm, and they said I could probably have the case dropped, have them drop the case. Yeah, um, you can have the, you can ask them to close the case, but they're going to want you to do, they're going to want you to do something, and that's get some protection for your daughter. I'm assuming, that for purposes of this conversation, that everything you told me regarding the father is true. So I would file something in family law court. You don't have to file divorce papers. You can file legal separation, or you can just file for custody and visitation and support. Oh, so I've already done that. Um, our divorce okay, is kind perfect. of it's it's kind of been dragged on. So we're going to finish that mm-hmm. as you know as soon as I can retain a lawyer again in the summer. Um, mm-hmm. So so just also um, if I guess on this agreement, if they try to show up to talk to my daughter, um, I don't I don't have to let them in without a court order or search warrant. If they show up at 
that, um, the grandparents' that is, house? That, that is correct. If they show up to your home, uh-huh. you do not have to let the social worker talk to your children unless they have a court order or a warrant. Okay. All right. Now, well, there was a new law that passed either in January, I think it was January 2015, where the social worker can go out to the school without your knowledge and talk to the child. That used to be not legal, and then it used to be a gray area. Now it's very clear the social workers can do that. But if, they're, if your child is at home with you, they can't do it without a court order and without a uh, warrant. Okay. Um, well, for, fortunately, I homeschool my daughter, so we we do we have the private school affidavit with California, but um, the social mm-hmm. worker was kind of kind of drilling me about the homeschooling and. Yeah, yeah. as a, as a, as an entity, I get the feeling that a lot of social workers don't like like homeschooling. Yes, yeah, yeah, I get you're that. Not, you're, yeah, you're not in you're not in um, not in. Uh, you know, at at the school with all the other kids and blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not a fan of homeschooling. That's just my personal opinion. But it's your right. It's your right as a Californian. It's your right as an American to homeschool your children. Yeah. And, I've, yeah. you know, I've, I've met many people that have been homeschooled, and, you know, they didn't have any, from what I saw, any deficits or shortcomings because of homeschooling. But for whatever reason, social workers think, ah, oh, you know, we don't like homeschooling. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, listen. Right. Thank, thank you. you for, thank you for your call. If you have any other questions, give our office a call. Okay. Sure. Thank you so much. So, for the listeners out there, if a social worker is contacting you, please note you do not have to speak to social workers. The social worker can get a warrant to speak to your child. Social worker can get a warrant to enter your home. Social worker can get a warrant to take your child. The social worker can never get a warrant or court order to make you talk to them. So don't talk to them without a lawyer being present. Right now I'm going to take another call. It's area code 323 ending in 34. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you for calling in. Did you have a question or a story? I have a story. Go ahead. Um, about a little bit over a year ago, um, I was contacted by a CPS. I mean, DCFS social worker out of Los Angeles County in regards to one of my children. Um, he had been placed on a 72-hour hold at um, a children's institution where he had been evaluated. Um, and it was per a counselor that he was already seeing that I voluntarily had him seeing. And the counselor kind of told me, like, if he ever had an outburst or whatever, you know, to go ahead and take him somewhere or call him in case of an emergency. Anyhow, um, they evaluated him. Um, There was a psychiatrist that did the evaluation. Um, She told me she had been a child psychiatrist for 20-plus years. Um, She didn't find anything to be wrong with him. She felt like he didn't need to be medicated, Um, did a physical um, 
check on him along with a mental check on him inside of their institution um, released him to me and she told me that she felt like the incident that happened with him and his sibling, um, they kind of had a little fight. Um, she said it's normal, you know, they're teenagers, you get into it with your siblings. And she released him. Um, she said she talked to my child, she felt like he fully understood his actions and what was going on. And also in the midst of him having the confrontation with his sibling, he tried to hit me um, because of his anger. So she talked to him about all of those things, and she said that she felt very strongly that he understood and he communicated. And when she released him to me, she just told me to, like, she gave me a list of some things that she said that, you know, I can involve him in. And she said she talked to him about the anger issues and try to control him. And she told me to continue with his outside therapy that I was getting him on my own, nothing court order or anything. Um, somehow um, they said that uh, a response team for mental health, not the, not the therapist that he was seeing, but someone else had sent a report to them and CPS uh, contacted me and they wanted to talk to me, and I refused to talk to them. I told them that my son had um, been um, evaluated, that the psychiatrist, along with the medical doctor, said that he was fine, and I refused to let them um, talk to me. Um, they got a private investigator from the Department of Children and Services. Um, the lady started harassing me. Along with harassing me, she put the family members of mine, uh, family members of my children, start harassing them, start going to their homes. She even took law enforcement to their homes. Each home she went to, um, they told her, we don't know what your accusations are, but, hey, we know this person. We've been knowing her all her life. This is our family member. This is the mother of my grandchildren. Um, she's not a bad person. She doesn't uh, absolutely love children and take good care of her kids. Uh, whatever you're talking about is not true. Um, even the grandmother told him I could put my life on it, that there's nothing going on. I have contact with my grandchildren and her all of the time. There's no type of abuse going on. Um, basically, this investigator from DCFS, um, she made up all kind of lies, um, trying to tell my family members along with family members of the of my children like, oh, well, we have allegations of this and that, trying to make me to be a bad person. But unfortunately, they wasn't buying it because they're like, no, this is this is not her. No, uh, whatever you're saying, you're making up a whole bunch of lies. Um, I had a previous court order with one of my children and the father. Um, they went into court, and uh, without me being present, they never served me any kind of documentation, uh, no paper saying that, um, we filed something in court. You had to be present. They never served me any of that. Um, they had the father of one of my children go into court and change our court order and took our 50-50 custody and gave him full custody of my one child without giving me any knowledge of it, without serving me any kind of papers of the change. It's just something that they did. So finally, um, after some months, I stopped hearing from these people and also, at the time, I was relocating from California to another state. 
So um, after months, I never heard from these people. Um, it's been over a year now. I live in my next state where I was relocating to. Um, I've been in my new state for about a year now. Um, my daughter, my 15-year-old daughter, she recently got sick, and she had to be hospitalized. Um, for some reason, um, CPS of my new state went to the hospital um, my daughter called me. No one from this hospital called me saying that CPS there was there to talk to my daughter. And my daughter refused to talk to them. She told them that she was a minor and she didn't have to speak to them. Um, they left and left her alone. Two days later, a CPS worker goes back and she removes my daughter from the hospital. I speak to this CPS worker over the phone because my daughter was hysterical, having a fit, saying, Mom, some lady is here, some social worker, and she's telling me I have to go with her, and I'm not going with her. So my daughter um, is hysterical. She just was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, this social worker shows up. She let these officers she bring with her handcuff my daughter like she's a criminal. One of the officers grounds my daughter on the face right in front of nurses at this hospital and also in front of this CPS worker, and nobody does anything. Now she has my one daughter into custody, and um, I basically have told her the same thing. Um, I will not talk to you without the presence of an attorney because I feel like you are violating my rights. My daughter's rights have been violated. And also when she went to take my daughter, I asked her, do you have a warrant? Do you have a court order? She said it to me, no, I don't have a court order. I don't have a warrant. I have a police report from hospital police. So I contacted the safety police of this hospital and they told me that they didn't give any reports to any social worker. Really? Yes. What state are you in? Nevada. You're in Nevada? What city? Yes. Las Vegas. What city are you? So, are you telling me how long have they taken your child without a warrant? How long has it been? Uh, It's been four days now. And the social worker have not contacted me. She haven't uh, tried to contact me and tell me where my daughter has been placed or anything. Haven't heard anything from her. Wow, that's uh, that doesn't sound right. Um, right. Your daughter. How old is your daughter? Fifteen. How old is she? And Fifteen. She was in the hospital because she was in the hospital because of diabetes. Well, she had, she's never been diagnosed with diabetes until now. She had got sick, so I had took her to an urgent care. And when I took her to urgent care and they did her vitals, her sugar was over 500. So they're like, she's sick. So they transferred oh her God. to yeah. the hospital, and they just diagnosed her with the diabetes. But she's been to a doctor all of her life, never had any problem with any kind of sugar or diabetes, never in life. Have they asked you or told you about going to court? No, actually, they're they're they went to court um, on Wednesday, I believe it was, and I wasn't contacted by the social worker. My daughter contacted me, and my daughter said, "Mom, they 
are saying that I'm going to court. Um, I'm here at this place, this location, come to court. So I went to the court. When I went to the court, no one came out to talk to me. Um, finally, after I sat there for hours, a clerk came out, and she's like, oh, the court date was put off until the 28th. Um, you need to come back on that day. Uh, my daughter also stated to me that they told her that she should have gotten an attorney that was supposed to talk to her on that day. She said no one ever came and talked to her at all. And you're and you're living in Las Vegas now. Yes. Have you tried to contact an attorney there in Nevada that uh, can assist you with this? Um, I did contact an attorney and. Um, she basically told me um, that she felt like uh, they're all the way wrong. So, yeah, we did. I did have a discussion with her about possibly retaining her to uh, go with me to this court hearing coming up on the 28th. Okay. That's definitely what you should do. Um, it, it may sound, it does sound a little, you know, from what you've told me, that your your civil rights may have been violated. Is that attorney able to assist you with that as well, or just uh, assist you with um, representing you in the juvenile court trying to get your child back? Well, she haven't said anything about the civil part, and I feel like my civil rights have been violated because I've been kind of doing my own homework on civil rights, dealing with CPS people. And um, another thing she mentioned to me was something about um, a California social worker so um, basically, from what she told me, it's like she's kind of saying something like she is holding my daughter from something that California might have done, which I have no idea what California could have done because, like I said, I was never served anything. I never not once been to a California court or anything there. So I don't understand how is it that they would have been able to do anything without serving me or having me have knowledge of anything that was going on. I mean, how can a social worker go and give some reports to a judge and how can a judge make decisions on someone in their family without someone never being present or never being served anything to appear in a California court? You know, you're absolutely right, but it happens frequently all too frequently um, in the guise of protecting children. Listen, do you have a pen and a piece of paper? I want to give you some information. Uh, yes, give me one second. Okay, I'll do. Okay. I'm going to give you a telephone number right now to call me Okay. Um, on, on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, because I'd like to follow up uh, this with you to find out, you know, what the, what in the hell is going on. So I want you to call me at my office, and it's 888-888-AGAIN. Mm-hmm. Okay. 65682. So that's 888-888-6582. Okay, I have Call it. me at Call me on Monday or Tuesday, and we will. Um, I will try to follow up with, on this with you to see what's going on, um, you know, regarding this case. By the way, and I'm not a, a Nevada attorney, okay, but if you were in California, uh, if they took your child away from you, you'd have court-ordered visitation. 
you could talk to your daughter, you could go see your daughter, etc. I'm assuming, and I don't know for sure, you need to talk to your Las Vegas or Nevada attorney about this, that it would be the same in Nevada. So talk to the attorney so you can get uh, some visitation set up so that you can have ongoing contact with your child to make sure that you know what's going on. Okay? I'll talk to you okay, next week. Okay, and I have, and thank you. I do, I have, thank you. I have a quick question for you, though, before we disconnect this call. Also, I have other children here, so the social worker is telling me that she needs me to come into her office and bring my other children, and it's just not something that I'm willing to do. Right. Now, before you, because I'm not sure about Nevada law, I'm not a Nevada attorney, but you need to talk to your attorney about whether you should or should not do that. Okay. All right. And I have a couple, I have I have a couple colleagues that are attorneys in Nevada. I'm going to contact them by the time we talk on Monday or Tuesday, and I can uh, maybe put you in contact with them or tell them or tell you what they told me. Okay, okay sure. Okay, thank, thank you very much. Thank you for much. calling in. Uh-huh. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, so we're running out of time. I'm going to try to take one more call uh, from area code 951 ending in 71. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Hello? Good, mo- good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Um, I had spoken to you a couple weeks ago in regards to um, the CPS in regards to Riverside County um, mm-hmm. about false allegations that they had did on the reports. Um, I right. did, they had detained, they had came to my house. I've had prior CPS cases, and it's all due to false allegations. It's for child neglect. This is about the fifth one. And every time I've gotten my kids back and I've done everything that they've requested of me, even though I never did anything wrong, just to get my children back, I did the drug classes, I did parenting, I did everything. I jumped through hoops for them four times prior to this. This is the fifth CPS case within the last past two years. And, of course, it's people that have been calling in for neglect, just, I mean, just false allegation cases. So what ends up happening this time they come to my house and I tell them, I'm not going to do anything. Just go ahead and take the children to my godmother's house. I refuse to talk to you guys. I have nothing to say. The kids can go over there. She has custody of them. That's it. Well, the next thing, uh, I stayed away from the kids because my, god, my godmother had them, which was their aunt. They wrote up a false report. They took the kids from her. They put them in a foster home. They made false allegations against her. They switched CPS workers. Now they're trying to put my kids up for adoption because they're saying due to my CPS history that I shouldn't have any type of reunification rights. So they don't want to offer me services, but I'm still doing everything, even though they're not requiring me to do anything. I'm still doing everything in my possible, anything I can to stop the adoption process from going through. My kids have not been May- placed with family. Are there family members available? Yes. I've sent her several documents, just like you said. We actually had a TDM meeting with her supervisor and four other social workers. At that meeting, I provided her 
with other relatives that were actually foster parents before, prior. And her response to that was, they don't know your children. Because we just recently relocated from Kansas two years ago. So my kids are barely getting to know my family here in California. So she's stating that, yeah, well, that was her whole thing. She said, these people do not know your children. And I said, okay, but the foster parents do. That makes no sense to me. My kids need to be around family, especially if they lost their mother, if that's all they've known. She said, no, no, no. Right now, our main thing is to get these kids adopted out. They need to be in a secure home because of your CPS history. So now I took it up to the state board, state hearing last week, because Good they denied. So I took it all the way up to the state board. So then we get we go to the state, and all of a sudden they don't have any documentation, and they postpone the hearing. Okay, so let me let me jump in here for a second because it's very important. Where in Riverside is your juvenile case? Is it in Indio, Marietta, or Riverside City? Well, right now, this my prior one were Riverside, but this one is in Marietta. Okay, why did you move? Yeah. Okay, so is your is your judge in Marietta on the first floor or the second floor? First floor. Okay. Okay. So the, you have a court appointed attorney. Yes. Okay. So. This is what you need to do. I sure do. Okay. You need to make a list of 25 names. Email okay. it to your I attorney. Did. I did already. And ask, did him, ask, him to fi- ask him to file a JV-285. That's you know, exactly we're running out of... Hold on a second. We're running out of time. I'm going to give you my number to call me um, next week so I can give you some further information. And I and I may know your court-appointed attorney. I know some of the folks down in uh, Marietta who are court-appointed attorneys. So let me give you my telephone number, and you can, you can call the office today and make an appointment to see me or talk to me or see me if you want uh, next week. It's 888-888-6582. Okay, so I want you to call, make an appointment to talk to me because I'm going to give you some valuable information. When is your next court date? Um, they actually postponed it all the way till July. Okay, good. So we have plenty of time. Yeah, but call me next week though. Option. I will. I will definitely. I, 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 I appreciate your time and you have a wonderful day. You're very knowledgeable. I appreciate it. All right, thank you, ma'am. I look forward to hearing from you. Bye bye. Okay, we're running out of time for this morning's show. There are some closing comments that I want to make to uh, the listeners. First of all, if you are involved in a juvenile dependency case, either as a parent, a a relative, or a close family friend, you must get educated. You must educate yourself. You must talk to a competent attorney in this area of law. Um, there is there are many things on Google uh, that you can find regarding um, uh, educating yourself in these matters. At our website, www.talkradioexpertswithans.com, um, there is something. There's a link to something called the Dog Book. Uh, you can also Google that. 
it's a, um, a little treatise that attorneys use to give them, you know, information about how to do juvenile dependency cases. It's not in-depth, but it's better than nothing at all. The second thing you must do, you must have a competent attorney. Make sure your attorney that you are using or going to use is competent in the areas of juvenile dependency law. Not that they've done a couple of cases, but they are really experts in this area of law. The third thing that you need to do is you need to register to vote. Our elections are coming up in June. Uh, register to vote. It's important you elect judges who are family-friendly. I will see you folks next week on the radio, Saturday at 8 a.m. Uh, have a good weekend and enjoy this pleasant weather here we're having in Southern California. <laughs>